everybody. Welcome back to another episode of God Built This Podcast. I'm your host, Maxine, and we're on episode 143. Welcome back. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, let's get into it. Get into it, yeah. You know, I like that song by Doja Cat. I really do. It's a really cool, fun song. Um, So let's talk about Portia Williams and this R. Kelly relationship that she had when she was 25 years old. Yes. In case you are unfamiliar of this, which I became familiar of uh, probably two weeks ago, um, because Portia Williams decided to reveal this in her upcoming book, which I think is already out right now, is the... The Pursuit of Portia, that's the name of it. And it's an autobiography of her life and her experiences, what she's learned, lessons, etc. And at the age of 25, she was in a relationship with R. Kelly. Um, let's get into this. Now, now, I really hate giving disclaimers, but I feel like I have to sometimes because, of course, I am against sexual coercion of course i am against um creepy behavior pedophilic behavior not to say this is pedophilia because she's definitely of age but let's just say specifically sexual coercion because um i've been there and so i know how it feels to be in a situation where you feel like you have to say yes and though you're not being forcibly raped or um, forcibly touched, you feel like you have to still just acquiesce to whatever the man, the person is telling you to do because you feel overpowered. Now, I talked about my situation with this type of thing um, in previous episodes, if you know, you know, but I may get into it if I feel the need to. But yeah, I definitely just want to give that disclaimer because, of course, sexual coercion is not okay. Now, let's get into this in particular um, and the details of it. So I'm going to read a couple of lines from this article that talks about Portia Williams' relationship and her experience with R. Kelly when she was 25. Now, I'm re-emphasizing that age because there's a difference being a woman of that age and a young girl at 16 or 17 who was um, manipulated and coerced and raped and, you know, all of that by R. Kelly, right? So there's, there's differences in that. So let's get into it. Um, so at the age of 25, Portia Williams was introduced to R. Kelly because at that point, in case you guys don't know, Portia Williams did have a stint in the music industry. She sings and you know, I'm not here to judge how well she sings. Look, talent is, is what it is for whomever, right? Isn't talent subjective as well as art? So um, at that age, she wanted to really jumpstart her music career and she was introduced to r kelly and you know r kelly is this legend even to this day with all that he has going on against him and him being in prison i can't take away his talent i can't take away his genius in music um in music and his musical abilities and all of that so that is just cemented i know at the height of surviving r kelly people especially i remember Charlemagne the god was saying um 
you know, R. Kelly don't, didn't really have that many hits, or he did. I'm like, nigga, I, look, we all could agree that Step in the Name of Love, Bump and Grind, like his whole catalog is is cla- is a classic. Like, there's no like I could say that, and I could say he's an ain't shit nigga for and you know he's a pedophile he's disturbing all these great things all these you know horrible things i could say that and i could say bump and grind is a a is that song like let's two things can be true let's just say that okay anyway back to this so um yada yada when she was okay so uh, Williams, so Portia Williams, was thinking about a career in music and met one of R. Kelly's friends. She was flown to Chicago in order to meet Kelly as well as to possibly work with him. And um, upon her arrival, though, she was, she of course assumed that she was going to be taken to a recording studio and really show her talents and really just show out. But she was actually driven to R. Kelly's home. So as she's at his house... He, uh, his friend, R. Kelly's friend, brings her to his room, R. Kelly's room, and Portia is still going with the flow, and she is left in his room by herself for hours. So she may be thinking in that moment, okay, well, you know, I'm here. Well, she actually is thinking for that moment that she's here. Let you know, let me make the best of it. Let me impress him with my talent and with my skills musically, of course. Um, once R. Kelly came to the bedroom, so according to Williams, after Kelly came to his bedroom, he asked her to remove her clothes. So there was no question asked to, you know, in regards of her musical abilities. There was no, um, you know, what singles have you released? There was no interest in that. It was just simply, you need to remove your clothes or can you remove your clothes? Because apparently he asked her. And Portia Williams said in her memoir that, I quote, I've already put myself in this position and um, this is what you're supposed to do. You have to. There is no turning back. And this is what she's saying to herself while she's in this room after he has already asked her to remove her clothes. So, and this is what I'm thinking about when I started off talking about sexual coercion. And again, for those who may not know what that is, is when you're in a position where you feel you feel like you have no choice. You feel trapped. You feel more than uncomfortable. You feel like you have to just go with and acquiesce to what the person is telling you to do or group of people because it may be in a situation where you're you're outnumbered. But in this case, when it's just one-on-one, you may, yeah, you may not be outnumbered, but you may obviously be outpowered, right? You're going against a man who is biologically stronger than you, who is able to intimidate you just naturally. So in your head, you're thinking, you know what? I'm here. I have to do what I have to do right now to survive and to not, and this is me adding on to it, and to not leave like a victim. Now, this is not to victim shame or victim blame, but it's also to, okay, it's not to victim shame or victim blame, period, end of sentence. Next sentence starts now. What it is is, is to, is to sometimes with the, with the label of victim, 
you feel like there is no like there's no light at the end of the tunnel that you will always be defined by this horrible act done to you. There is a level of shame always attached to you. There's a stigma attached to you. And because you know people who have been victimized and who may wear it um, just a part of their, as their identity, you are now in a position that, that it could possibly be you now. Now you may possibly possibly be put in a position where you are now having to wear this label as a victim. So in this moment, you're thinking, I would think I need to survive and I don't want to be leaving this room as a victim. I want to turn it around as if I made the choice and I made the um, just the decision to do whatever is actually being mandated for me to do. So it's like a mind trick for yourself. It's like turning it around and making yourself believe that, no, I am not a victim. I am in control and I'm deciding to just go with the flow because of my survival. And all I really need to do right now is survive this moment and hopefully leave this moment alive and well. So I understand why Portia felt this way and why she said what she said. You know, again, she said, I've already put myself in this position. This is what you're supposed to do. You have to, there is no turning back. So, and then you have to also keep in count that she's in his house. His house is not just him and her alone. It's not a small home, right, where there's only one or two exits, exits, max um there are multiple ways to enter to leave there are multiple people in the home and you are you are under this person's thumb essentially like if he wanted to press a button and lock all entrances and exits he could if he had that like already established so now you're like I would think about all of that if I was in her position I would think about all of that and think to myself like okay I like I get how she feels that way and how she felt that way in that moment. So um so yeah, so she stayed in the room. Um I don't have the book, so I don't know if she got into more detail in what actually happened right in that moment. Like I'm assuming they did have sex, you know, him asking to take off her clothes and her going with it because she feels like she needs to do that. Um I'm assuming they had sex. So following the alleged incident, Williams said said that she saw Kelly on two more occasions and um, she remembers these two different encounters that she had with him. So there was one moment where she revealed that um, she realized that she made the decision to not see him anymore after this moment. So this moment was um, a particular while she was in his bedroom she woke up, so this is already confirming that she's been sleeping with him at least for a few times, and she slept over his home, and she's in his home, comfortably so. And the following morning, after a night of lust, she wakes up and hears a woman getting hit in another room in R. Kelly's house, right? So... Um, this was the moment that made her decide to finally not see R. Kelly anymore. This was the pivotal moment that really 
push her to finally just walk away from this relationship. Now, there's a lot to unpack here. You know, again, me stating clearly that I understand how she felt in that moment to continue with him and just go with what he asked. Um, But I'm wondering a couple of things. So she says she revealed this information because she wanted to continue to help all the victims who have been victimized by R. Kelly. And she wanted to share her story so that she could be an inspiration for anyone who has gone through anything similar, et cetera, right? And I understand that. I think, though, obviously this is definitely something that is boosting her her book, right? Boosting the sale of her book. And she is trying to promote the shit out of this book. Not to say that this story can't be real. I believe that it is real. Like, I don't feel like she's lying about it. But I just think, I just think being that it's 20 years later, um, she's 40 now. So it's about, you know, it's around that time later. So much time has passed. And I'm wondering again about just the motive. You know, when we think about all of the women, not all of them, but some of them who have come out against R. Kelly, saying that they were victimized by him, saying that he did just just nasty and just inconceivable things while they've had sex, right? Whether it's a peeing situation or anything just strange that they did not really agree with but felt like they had to do. Um, coming out about it, in the time when it was hot to do so, so in the time when it was encouraged to come out against R. Kelly, it just felt like, like at the height of surviving R. Kelly, it just felt like this was the thing to do. Like, okay, who else had a story against R. Kelly? Who else had a story against Bill Cosby? It just, it, it just cheapens your actual real valid experience. And I wish that it wouldn't, but it does because the motive and the intent is, is, is like covered underneath it all with just the timing. And I feel like, you know, with just the height of attention that you get for, coming out against R. Kelly and coming out against Bill Cosby during the time that it was the the cool thing to do, it gives you more exposure and it allows for you to sell whatever you are trying to sell. And in this case for Portia, she's trying to sell her book. And it sucks that I even have to say this because I just want to share how, you know, how I understand her feeling coerced in that moment and how I understand how she felt like she just had to just acquiesce to him. But for me, it just feels like I just think about the timing overall when it comes to this situation and all the, not all, but many of the women who came forward, many of the adult women who came forward in the timing that they did, it, it's really sad when you think about it. It just makes me wonder that, damn, you know, what isn't an opportunity situation, right? What isn't it um, a situation that could make you be able to gain from it? So you think of Portia, she's gaining from telling the story because this will boost her sales in her book. 
Um, th- I'm thinking about R. Kelly's wife, the woman who he was married to during all of these alleged crimes. That's me saying alleged does not mean I don't believe them. It's I'm just you know being legal. But during this time, uh, his wife, I forgot her name, but y'all know her. Uh, what's her name? I, f- I don't care to look it up, but y'all know who I'm talking about. The woman who he, who he was married to for a couple of years, okay? They were married. They had children together, more than one. And this whole time, she never came out, never came forward. And yes, I get it. When you're in a situation where you are abused, it's not easy to come out and say X, Y, and Z. But they've since separated. They since been divorced. It didn't. It took up until now, or just recently, um, at the height of surviving R. Kelly, for his former wife to now come forward and say all of these things about her marriage and R. Kelly and what has happened in that time frame. Like, first of all, you knew who he was prior to you marrying him and that's what i'm trying to that's where i'm getting at here like portia knew who r kelly was aside from him being the legend that he is right still not taking that away from him aside from him being the legend that he is she knew that he married a 14 year old Aaliyah, right she knew about the pissing on a teenage girl sex tape that went viral back in the day she knew about that so you mean to tell me she just pushed that under the rug and decided to just still go forward with this guy thinking pure thoughts like at what point are we responsible as women at what point And again, this is not me trying to bash Portia because, again, I understand how one could feel um, pressured to perform and to be in a situation and be whatever the person is calling you to be in that moment because you feel overpowered. I get it. Prior to us getting there, though, prior to you going to his room, prior to you going to his house, Prior, prior to all of that, sh- not even to all of that. Actually, prior to you being flewed out, you were flewed out to go see this man. And when you flew into Chicago and as you were being driven to his house and not a studio, nowhere did you think to yourself, huh, like you know what I mean like I'm just trying to think about prior to you getting to his room there were multiple steps and opportunities that could have been taken to not have led you in this situation that could have been in your control right um obviously you being in that room and being in front of him and him asking you really forcing you to take your clothes off that's not in your control. You got to do what you got to do in that moment to survive. I get that. But before then, why did you allow for R. Kelly to get even that close to you with all that was already said about him, 
with all that was already known about him, why would you still want to get into close relations with him? This brings me to the answer of opportunity, okay? So two things can be true. You have a woman, you have Portia, who was put in a position that she felt like she had to perform and be whatever she needed to be in that moment, in that bedroom with R. Kelly, in order to survive, in order to still make it out alive. Got it. And you have a woman who decided to still develop a relationship with a man prior to you even going to his house first, you still decided to develop a relationship with the man who you knew, who it is, it is popular thought, it is popular, it's a thread going on that this man is a pedophile, that this man is not someone who you should be in close quarters with, alone, with a child, with other people, don't get close to this man. But you saw it as an opportunity. You saw it as an opportunity to go forward because what you had in mind was this selfish gain, right? And I get it. You want to make it in the music industry. But at some point, you have to think to yourself, is this smart? Am I putting myself in harm's way or in safe way? Am I putting myself in danger? Huh? Like... We have to not be so selfish in our ambition, which will then naturally put us in a position of danger. And in this case, Portia could have circumvented this from even happening by not even allowing herself to get that close to him. Now, I do want to give her some bail as well because she's 25, and I get 25 is still an adult, but... 25 is still like you're not fully formed into your womanness, into your adulthood, really. I want to say by 30 because I feel like when I became 30 and me moving to Houston at 27 and really just developing my identity and my adulthood, it didn't come until later. Everyone's different, but I would say typically around that age, I would say is when you are really forming into your own adult and you could comfortably say no. You could comfortably say, uh, not at all, I'm not interested. You won't even dare to put yourself within your control in harm's way. So I would say around that age. I know Portia, so she was married before. Um, so when she came on the Real Housewives of Atlanta, and that's where we all know her from, Real Housewives of Atlanta, a Bravo show, for those who may not know. And she came on the show as a married woman, married to a football player named Cordell something something. This nigga was trash, trash, and I think he's on the DL, but that's neither here nor there. I mean, it's here and there, but let's not even get into that. With Cordell, she was... She was 32. I don't know at what age she married him, but it was around 32 they got divorced. And prior to that, like while in that marriage, she was sheepish, okay? And what I mean by that is she was 
sheep sheep like whatever you whatever he said she did whatever he wanted she gave whatever he needed she offered willingly casually frequently she had no voice in that marriage she had no identity in that marriage it's cordell cordell's way or no way and she played into this role thinking that this was what was supposed to become of her as a wife and she also reveals in interviews around her book that she found herself at that time and around that time yeah she found herself in relationships with men whom definitely were predatory in a sense who controlled her who didn't allow for her to have her own voice and her identity. And so it all makes sense now. So her first marriage definitely proves that some more, that she was more of this woman who just had to just follow with whatever her husband said. And I see that a lot in Portia at that point. Now, though, Portia is more of her own woman. She is in her identity. She's strong. She's loud. She's vivacious. And she doesn't apologize for it. And it's really amazing to see her growth. But just going back to how women, we have more control than we realize. And prior to us being trapped in a situation with a man whom could clearly overpower us, et cetera, et cetera. We have to do whatever we can in our control. Again, this is why I keep on saying that. It's within our control at certain points. So with Portia, I feel like she should have never even entertained R. Kelly. She should have never even gotten close to him. And that's the thing with predators, with people who present a persona but they do so in a way to manipulate you they do so in a way to gather you closer to them that is the whole point of a predator right I'm not going to present myself as a predator and introduce hey my name is Smith and I'm a predator no you're going to be the best charismatic character around you're going to be a great helper you're going to be a great friend you're gonna make me feel like a lean on you you make me feel a feel like you could really help me and that you're my savior and so r kelly i'm sure he has a captivating aura around him and even outside of her meeting him uh personally i'm sure she was captivated by his music she was captivated by his his persona that we will see in music videos. Like, I get it. I get it. Child, maybe if I was 14 back then, so I'm going <laughs> to... It's a joke. Fuck. <laughs> That's funny, though. If I was 14 back then, I don't know. I don't know. Shit. No, but I think overall... <sighs> You know, we have to be more in control of ourselves as much as we can, of course. And I'm just saying this all with grace, with gentleness, and with the understanding that two things can be true. I think she saw R. Kelly has a great opportunity to jumpstart her career, 
And I think she was put in a position where she had to um, submit to him because her life was on the line. Not to say that R. Kelly was going to kill her, but um, it's just, it goes back to, I don't want to be identified as a victim. I don't want to have one of these stories that these girls have. So I'm going to just go with the flow, act like I'm cool with it so that I could leave here scathe free. So I think that's just a common thing that many women go through in situations that you may not even realize. Like if I feel intimidated by you and if I'm at a point in my life where I feel super vulnerable and I feel like I can't really stand up for myself, that is a great opportunity for that person to then overpower me some more. So I get that. I, I understand it. I know, you know, 25 people may say, you know, that's, you, you grown. You're not. You're really not. You're really not. So I get that. And, and I hope she didn't uh, internalize this too much, thinking that she, you know, deserved whatever happened to her. And this is, and me still saying those, what I, you know, what I said already doesn't mean that she deserved what happened to her. Um, it just, is making it clear that sometimes we have to be mindful of the decisions that we make and the relationships that we form with people whom we've already heard of pedophilic behavior. So just keep that in mind. Just keep that in mind. All right. Now let's get into this feminist movement that is trying to tear down the King Richard movie. Now, I did not watch the movie. I probably will later. I don't know. I don't know. I don't really. It feels like a mushy-gushy movie. I don't know if the father is still living. Like, I don't know what type of movie it's going to give me. I know it's going to give me vibes. um, But I don't know if he's still alive. I could just go ahead and Google that. But I don't want to get my feelings because, you know, fathers are amazing. Seriously. Um, Black fathers in particular. My black father in particular is an amazing father. Like that's my, you know, my dad is my dad. It's my dad. And he just has a special place in my heart. My dad, (laughs) well, you know, people, you know, older people will be on Facebook. Like Facebook, you mean meta? No, but seriously, my dad's on Facebook still. And Every other day, he would send me a DM on Facebook of, like, these random quotes, whether it's a a, a biblical verse or it's just, you know, keep hope alive type of, like, it's just these random quotes that's inspirational, that's really nice. And, you know, sometimes as children, no matter what age you are, whether you're a teenager, whether you're an adult, a young adult, whatever age you are, sometimes when your your parent does anything, it could be the sweetest thing. It's like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> and for me, <laughs> whenever, like, I get a DM message, I'm immediately annoyed because it's like, Dad, what? <laughs> Every time. And, like, it, I could go on and on of different – hold on, let me go in – my messenger app real quick and show and just read aloud some of these messages that my, that my, that my dad sends me. So there's one, 
drive careful on this road called <laughs> I'm laughing y'all it's one of those let me finish drive careful on this road called life because people will switch lanes on you without a signal like that are you okay <laughs> prior to that was a, a verse from the bible 1 john 4 verse 7 beloved let us love one another for love is from god and whoever loves has has what's the, if I click it's gonna go to a different app so yeah so that's one the, the one before that life is short don't take one day for granted everything can change in a moment be grateful for all you have and all that you are remember who is most important to you and always cherish them life is a gift and we are blessed so it just goes on and on there's so many different quotes that um different memes that he has sent me and I want to say this started right around the time that I moved to Houston. And so my dad would send me these DMs of these inspirational quotes around that time until like still to this day, to this day. And every time he'll send it to me, it's like, okay, it's nice. But it's like, okay, dad. But in my head, I would say that. I would never say that aloud to him. I, I, I don't want to make him feel bad for sent for thinking of me and sending me these inspirational words right until just a moment ago I had a realization in a reality check and I realized instead of being annoyed with the constant uh, texts or oh, the constant dms of these inspirational quotes by my dad I should be grateful I should appreciate the fact that I have a dad who cares to know how to use Facebook Messenger and send me these inspirational texts that will come right on time, surprisingly. I just didn't give it as much um, reverence as I should have. And what made me give it reverence was just a few days ago, there was a health scare that my father experienced, that we all experienced for him. And he went to the emergency room and... It was a scary moment. And, um, you know, being that I'm here and my father, my mom, my sister, my my family is all the way in Boston, hearing that news over the phone as I'm talking to my sister, I was I was just sitting back thinking the worst because you you already know my anxiety is on 10. I feel like every time I wake up, Seriously, it's a battle. It is a battle with my anxiety. It is, okay, <laughs> are we going to stay in the present? Or are we going to live in the land of what ifs? The land of negative what ifs. The land of life is over, things will never go your way, you will never get your heart's desires what ifs. I am constantly battling with my anxiety. Constantly. And sometimes, you know, that verse <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> from the Bible that says, you know, no weapons formed against me shall prosper. You know, that Fred Hammond song, too. No weapon formed against me. Niggas, these weapons be prospering. Hello? <laughs> prospering. These weapons are shooting and it's getting me in my arm, my shoulder blade, um, my 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 abs, my butt, like I'm getting hit left and right. And though I'm not dying, right, I still feel like I'm falling. I still feel like I'm getting hit. 
and attacked and shot and boom, boom, boom. And yeah, my pulse is still is still beating. My heart is still beating, but I am battling. I am constantly in battle with my anxiety, y'all. And this anxiety is, and I think to myself, I'm like, when did this really begin for me? And I can't tell you a time when it hasn't been an experience of mine. My anxiety has always been a part of me ever since I was young. And it was always something going on that I felt like I couldn't manage that was managing me. And I will always be succumbed to whatever it is in that moment. So being younger, when I was young and I was back home in Boston and I was just going through family stuff and I was feeling the pressure of not feeling like I was a member of the family and not feeling like I belonged and the anxiety from that and being at a Catholic school a majority of my life and being bullied for a period of time for a period of time and feeling the anxiety from that and then that growing into a social anxiety of me walking into a room and me thinking oh I'm immediately being judged nobody likes me I don't fit in I I I should look like this girl I don't look like that girl you know I'm not pretty enough I'm not this enough like all of this is eating me up and so I think about when did this anxiety come? I can't even tell you, but I can tell you it's always been here. It's always been here. So being that, you know, I'm 30 years old now and I have names for my experiences, right? I know what sexual coercion means, right? I've been through that. I know what endometriosis is. I have that. I know what anxiety is because that's a name that has finally been given to my feelings and my experiences throughout my life. And so these words weren't available to me when I was younger or just a few years ago, right? So I think about just anxiety overall and I think about like, Every day is a battle. Every day, every moment in the day. I could be having a good time with you, and then suddenly a negative thought comes in my head, and I'm ruminating. I'm going down this awful road until the road finally stops. And so I'm trying to figure out other ways to, like, really handle it. I've been looking into CBD, and um, shit, this should be an ad, but I'm hoping that this product that I just purchased from this uh, website called feels f-e-a-l-s dot com I'm hoping that it helps m- me better manage my anxiety I'm hoping that it helps me to relax so even when I'm like just laying down I'm watching tv y'all I would notice I'm I'm twitching my leg is always moving I'm tapping something I have to be doing something as I'm watching or as I'm trying to sit still as I'm supposed to be sitting still I have to do something that's my anxiety kicking in not feeling like I'm safe enough to relax and be and I'm always thinking about oh the shoe's gonna drop oh this is going to end oh this this happiness this love that you're feeling is going to end this this shoe's gonna drop this shoe's gonna drop And I'm feeling this anxiety that's just, like, overwhelming. Anyway, anyway, so 
I bring that up to say that every day I deal with anxiety, every day I battle with it. And so I purchase and it's kind of come in the mail and I will keep you guys abreast with how it's been helping me. Hopefully I'm just going to claim it. And it's basically a CBD oil. Well, it is a CBD oil and then you put it under your tongue. And um, I decided to get the flight, which is basically if you go to the website, if it's called the flight and it gives you three concoctions of different amounts of CBD and you start off with the lowest amount and you see how your body adjusts to it how well it works for you and the next day or the next few hours maybe you could try the next amount and see how that works well with you and you'll just like determine which one is best for you so um there's actually also mints available CBD mints so like if you need to pick me up during the day shit I I really feel like I may need to you know when I said in a previous episode a while ago I said I need to be on drugs right shit maybe anyway why did I bring this up my dad going back to my dad um so in times when he would oh okay well, yeah, yeah so yeah so like he will always send me um inspirational texts and just inspirational messages over Facebook Messenger. And I was just like, you know, you know, just being a kid, like, okay, dad, all right, have a good day, see you later. <laughs> um, but I, so I didn't really appreciate the way that I should have. Up until recently, when he had a health scare, and I'm feeling anxious about that, being away from home and not having control, control over the situation, I'm feeling anxious about it. And I'm wondering to myself, like, you know, what if, you know, what if my dad is gone? Like, what if he leaves? Like, what if this is the end? And what if I lose him and I don't want to lose my dad? I'm just going down this road of just like, just horrible anxiety some more because of this health scare. And now, thankfully, thankfully, all is well as of now. Um, just still catching up with him. He said he's feeling better. And I don't want to get into the details of his health scare. It wasn't COVID. It wasn't. Uh, shut up. Shut up. It wasn't COVID. And in Boston, you know, it's. It's like a New York because everywhere you go, it's still expected to wear and not even expected it's mandated to wear a mask. So it's definitely not a Texas situation at all, which is unfortunate um, to say the least. But anyway, um, he's doing much better now and I'm going to actually call him um, soon to just get a follow up. But anyway, I bring this up because. I realized in that moment I should have been appreciating all of the texts, all of the inspirational, corny messages I got from my dad. I should have been like, oh, another one, another one, another one. Instead, I was so busy just being an annoying brat of a daughter and not really being grateful that I have a father who cares about me enough to text me regularly or DM me regularly on Facebook Messenger inspirational quotes that are definitely needed for someone like me who is anxious all the time. So I was just also feeling bad. Like, oh my gosh, what if this is the last DM I get from my dad? What if this, you know, I should be more appreciative. And, you know, I think I thought that was like a lesson learned for me to just really appreciate the people in your life. Like no matter how corny they may act in one moment or maybe it's annoying or whatever, change your perspective and realize like, wow, you know, there are people out there who don't have their fathers anymore, who wish they would have had a dad who was as active as my dad, who, you know, who wish they would have a dad who would know how to use a social media platform and send me a DM. Like how you know how to do that? But he does. And so all of that to say, fuck the feminist movement. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> I bring 
King Richard up because you have a lot of people in the feminist movement who have been giving a lot of backlash towards King Richard, the movie about Serena, Venus's father, who really, because of him, allowed for them to become the legends that they are in tennis. And so the feminist movement, many people in the feminist, many people, women, however they identify in the feminist movement, were against the movie because they felt like it was highlighting well not even they felt like it was highlighting it is highlighting a man and the highlight isn't given towards the 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 daughters right and so they feel like well they're taking away the importance and the shine of the daughters and the work that they've done and it's just like at this point shut the fuck up it's because of their father they are where they are. It's because of the sacrifices, the hard work, the effort, the relentless energy that he puts in, that he put in towards his daughters and their success is the reason why his daughters are who they are. So let's give reverence to that. And this movie was approved by Serena and Venus Williams. This movie was not just like, oh, some willy-nilly movie. Like, no, this was in agreement. This was um, in production with Serena and Venus. They were um, in charge of the storytelling. They created the story in the perspective of their father. And this was in reverence to him. So now, you now, like, think about it this way. We live in a society where where we want to give reverence and praise and thanks and gratitude to an active, loving black father, we are now seen as, you know, not strong enough women and, you know, we shouldn't be doing that. We're now being shamed from doing that. What? Isn't this the very thing you want, feminists? Isn't this the very thing you want? Don't you want black fathers who are loving and active and kind and and gracious and hardworking and sacrificial? Wouldn't you want that? You have a perfect example of a black father. Who is that? Who has, because of him, he has created the Serena and the Venus Williams who we all know now, who we all have known for so many years. So for there to be backlash against this movie and and against just giving him any type of accolades is just so backwards to me we live in a really strange time and I want us to really spend time to give thanks to each other give thanks to our loved ones and give thanks to our fathers our mothers who you know whoever is still in our life today because you don't know when's the last day and you don't know what you know how someone could feel knowing that wow you really took time to give me thanks so I think about my dad and thinking about all the consistent messages that he sent me via dm on facebook messenger and now he's transferring to instagram (laughs) I'm like okay that's (laughs) you know and now now I um I'm looking at it differently. Like, you know what? I'm so grateful. Thank you, Dad. Thank you. You know, I'll, I'll like it. I've always liked it, you know, double tap it. Um, but internally, my emotions initially was just like, okay, here we go, Dad. You know, I was feeling annoyed. And now I'm looking at it differently. And now I'm shaming myself for, like, even thinking about it 
in a negative light. Like I should be grateful. So swished, you know, switch, uh, shift the mindset, shift your perspective and be more grateful towards the people in your life who really give a fuck about you, who really care and love you. Cue the music. Now I'm ready. I'm ready to love. All right, let's get into ready to love. Are you ready to love? First of all, this season is a bore. I I want to sue Oprah, Stedman, and Tyler Perry. Like, at this point, what the fuck is going on? What's going on, D.C.? Chocolate City? What's going on? Damn. I haven't been to D.C. in years. It was a nice time when I went there last. Um, the comedy scene is great there. But what's what's really good? I can't remember any of these niggas. Like, they, I don't know why they thought it was a good idea to have a week off. Hello? I'm still getting to know you. You got to call me every day. Like, we don't, it's no time. You know how you're talking to somebody? And, you know, some days you don't talk to them. Some days it's silent. It's like, nigga, what? Did you die? Are you dead? That's how I feel about this show. Like, what is going on? I can't recall two couples, a couple, who I feel like, oh, they have a really genuine connection, or, oh, I like them together. I think they look really good. I, th- I think they have a great vibe together. I just don't see it. I really just don't see it. I'm really disappointed. Um, initially, I liked Walter, and I think Walter is still cool, but I feel like he's kind of a smooth talker. And I don't know. I really don't know about him anymore. I feel like he's not as... Uh, what is it? Uh, what's the word? Like forward. That's what it is. He's not as forward with the women as I feel like a man should be. Like I don't really see him pursuing and really. I mean, yeah, we see him in dates with. Uh, we saw him in a date with Moomin. Now we saw him in a date with Sabrina. I just feel like he does the the obligatory. And we saw him in a date with Zadia, but like. I just feel like it's all a game. I'm starting to see past the the cute smile and just, you know, the bald head and the beard. I don't know. I'm just starting to see past that. I'm like, but what's really going on? Like, what's really going on? Like, are you really into these women? Are you into one in particular? Like, I don't really see that deep connection. Like, remember last season with Kyle Fani? The fact that I even remember his name says a lot about that season. Says a lot about him, too. With Kyle Fani... You could see how just the way that he would look at um not Denise. <laughs> God bless Denise. But um what's that other girl? I forgot her name, but that other girl, he looked at her deep like the way that he looked at her and made her feel like he was really into into her and really just pursuing her. I don't see that from Walter. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? So I'm disappointed. I feel like all of these, like, oh, he's my top pick or he's my number one. He's my top two. It's like, but is he, though? Are y'all really talking outside of these dates? Like, are y'all really forming a connection? And I know they say, some of them said, oh, yeah, we talk for hours on the phone, whether that's a phone call or texting. I don't know, but 
I just, I don't see that translating. I don't see that translating through the screen. I don't, I do not see that. I feel like the only real person on the show so far that I've picked up on is Aisha. I fucks with her. I like maybe that Northeast energy. I like that. <laughs> right? But I do like her. Um, I like that moment that she had with Phil an episode ago when she opened up with him and shared why she really is hesitant upon having more children. I thought that was a powerful moment. I thought that um, he supported her emotionally beautifully in that moment, very beautifully. But, like, let me remember what happened this this past episode. So we have Camille who got caught in a in a lie. So this, this bitch is really not the celibate character that she portrays. Girl, are you okay with her stupid-ass face? Look, I am here. As If you guys know me, I am very expressive. I could be a little animated at times. I could do stuff with my face like, oh, right, like, but I feel like the way that Camille does it is not funny. And I do it funny, right? Like, I feel like it doesn't translate well with Camille. Instead, it comes off like she has an attitude problem. And I don't, you know, so that that's not my issue. But I see that to be her issue. So Camille got called out. When she was out with her friends and she was, like, prepping them up to meet Cornelius, she was telling them about how he's celibate and he's waiting till marriage. I don't think he even likes to kiss, actually. I think that's what she said, too. Like, he doesn't even want to kiss until um, until he get married, like, right at the wedding day. Like, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, but, and then one of her friends said, well, you know, are you okay with that? Because, like, they were making it clear that she would not be okay with that. And they was calling her out, saying that she's a commitment phobe and she gets bored easily. And she he's going to be another boy toy, little play thing for her, which definitely explains some more of her past with men. Her three supposed engagements with niggas, like, that is not something to be bragging about. That is not a badge of honor. So ultimately, I feel like Camille is full of shit, and um, it's going to be a no for me, dog. Cornelius is a punk-ass nigga. I just, what is going on? He's, like, afraid to talk to other women because he's afraid. Is, is Camille going to eat you up at night? Is she under your bed like a monster? Like, what is what is going to happen? What is going to happen if you talk to Zadia? Cornelius, corny-ass motherfucker. You know I used to like that name? I thought the name was so strong of a name, Cornelius. Maybe it has a meaning to it. Maybe that's why I'm, like, attracted to that name or was attracted to it. Now when I – I've seen two examples of Cornelius men, like men who – I don't know personally, but who I've seen either on social media or on the show, on TV, just been corny niggas, like literally corny. Like, damn, Cornelius, huh? Okay. Fitting. It's fitting. So, yeah, Camille and Cornelius got to go, and I'm here for it. Zadia had a little attitude problem, and I'm trying to understand why. For God's green earth, why the fuck she had an attitude? I had to watch that scene and pause and think to myself, did I miss something? And typically when I'm watching a show that I'm really interested in, which is Ready to Love, one of the shows that I am really interested in, I really give it my attention. I'm not on my phone. I'm not scrolling through Twitter. Like, I'm giving it all my attention. And then during commercial time, even though I'm recording the show, I could fast forward it. But I choose to let the commercial rock because during commercial time is when I go on Twitter and see what the engagement is, see what y'all talking about. 
And um, during that scene, I'm thinking Zadia, like, what? why does she just have an attitude? She had an attitude with Aisha, and then she had an attitude with Tissia. And though I don't like Tissia, I feel like that was unwarranted for Zadia to act like that towards her. Um, I don't like Tissia because I feel like Tissia is just fake as hell. She's fake as hell. She's one of those, like, southern fake girls, southern fake girls who just don't know how to really be honest and real and transparent and genuine. And I, that's how she just, uh, demonstrates herself to be to see her. So, and that moment with, um, what happened? So when Sydney and I forgot who Sydney was until I saw, I'm like, Oh, this is Sydney. The, the, the twist, the plot twist of the show. <laughs> like, okay. She repeated that she's new to the show and she's still trying to play catch up. Sabrina got into a little ads. She was like, okay, so, what is everybody okay like what happens i'm not saying you have to be sisterhood with all the women on the show that you're you know because you're in this experience together i just feel like everyone had a little attitude problem sabrina zadia just them two really and tosia has a little attitude problem too they like i don't know something's going on with dc but don't go back there just come back to houston for the next season come back to houston Let's go to Atlanta again. Where else? Let's go to New Orleans. Like, there are other places. D.C. was not it, and I am heavily disappointed. Uh, who left? What's his name? Sean. Sean should have left from day one. Sean should have left from day one. As soon as I, I saw him walk down with um Sydney during the reveal, I was like, okay. okay. And, um... It's not to say that he's not, like, attractive. I don't – well, I'm, I'm not attracted to him. That's, that's one. But for someone else, he is, right? That's not the point. The point is I just immediately felt this, like, okay, it's not going to work out type of energy with Sean. And I was right. Sean is just a wishy-washy, don't know what he wants, don't know what it is. He wants children, but, yeah, he still want to fuck with two women to see a – well, Tasia said, I don't know if Tasia was the one that, no, Tasia doesn't want children, but he was really interested in Sabrina, who doesn't want children. She doesn't want children, and he was still interested in still pursuing her when he could have just been like, you know what, I'm, I'm done right here. And it's not to say that just because the, the person that you're interested in wants children and you want children that, oh, this is a great match. No, but it's to say that if the person definitely do not want to continue having children, has, har has already had children and has had enough and you still want children, then this is definitely a time to go. Go and leave, Okay. Get some head, get some bread, then leave. Like, that's that's it. But he's still trying to, like, play the field and figure it out. Sir, you're 48. Shit, it might be 52. Like, what are we doing? And then we see that scene of him meeting Sabrina's friend. Sabrina set him up with the okey-doke. That sucked. I don't know why she had to tell her friends what he said about just his wishy-washy energy. That was a scene. That was entertaining, but damn. What's his name? So Sean's like, oh, he could play a bill. <laughs> this nigga said, I could pay a bill or two, not three, not four, and definitely not a mortgage. He's giving real Chris energy, real Chris energy. But with Chris, though, Chris has a way of 
even though I didn't like what Chris said, from I'm talking about Chris from last season, you know, the, the DJ. Um, Chris has a better smoothness to him, little, you know, je ne sais quoi to him. So even though he he definitely presented himself as a, as a broke nigga, um, it, it was a little bit better to digest. Like, I, I swallowed it better. Check that. I swallowed it better. Coming from Sean talking about, remember when he first came, he's talking about, they're asking him, oh, what do you do for a living? He's like, I create. Do you create jobs? Like, what? <laughs> do you create an income, nigga? Do you create a, a salary? Do you create benefits? Do you create a 410, 401k? <laughs> what is it? What do you create? Are you creating air? Nigga, are you God? What, like, what's going on? Talking about I create. And look, I am all for creatives. That's not to say I'm not, right? It's just the way that he presented himself was just like, nigga, what? So I just need him to take some pictures, some, <laughs> some photography. <laughs> Do something a little bit more tangible to make the woman feel a bit more secure with you creating. Like, what are you creating? Nigga, what are, are you creating a check? Is there a paycheck attached? Is there a pay stub? Can you file it? Is there a W-2? Can I write a return? Are you creating that? No? Okay. Okay, never mind. So bye-bye, Sean. Bye-bye, Sean. So let's, um, yeah, I just, that's really what I, all I had to say for ready to love. Let's see, what else in my nose? Zadia had an attitude problem. That's pretty much it. Yeah, I really don't know what <laughs> this show will entail what it will end off with who the couples will be the final two or final three like i i have no expectations like i have no expectations i have no predictions i got no issues no i o n s i have none of them so yeah, we'll see. I'll check in with y'all <laughs> next episode of Ready to Love. Now let's get into It's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. And um, Merla said nothing. <laughs> Merla said it's going to be nothing for me because I will not pick Gil still. And I will laugh in his face. I will flirt with Johnny in his, in his face. And I don't give a fuck. Um, yeah, Merla ain't shit, huh? <laughs> And I was thinking about what I said in the last episode, and I'm thinking, like, damn, maybe the way that I spoke about that whole situation felt like I was giving Merla bail, like I was supporting just how she went about it. Like, look, you know, it, it made sense to me because she never wanted to get intimate with him and get physical with him, and she took a very long time, and that's a sign. And I just like, I was shooting her, I was shooting her bail. I definitely was. And look, all of that is still true, though. I do think that's a red flag. If you are dating someone and you are not interested in being physical with them, then that's that's a problem. Like, do you like me? Like, what's going on? And so we see that she clearly doesn't like Gil. Um, but I, I just still feel a, a bit perplexed, a bit fumbled by this because I think about all the moments that she shared 
with whether it be the other women, the other couples, the 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 therapists, the the experts, shit, not experts anymore, just the three people in the room. Shout out to Courtney and Eddie from YouTube who I watched a review of and they say we're not giving them the the title experts anymore. We're going to say the three people in the room because that's exactly what they have been reduced to cuz child, did they even try? Did they did, is there a course to become an expert? Because at this point, I could just be right on board. But yeah, I feel like Merla is just an ancient type of bitch. Like, she's just really, she's a bitch. She's a bitch. She's giving real bitchy. And I feel like, look, you can still make your decision very well and clear. You don't have to be in a relationship with someone who you don't feel happy with. I support that completely. What I don't support is how she went about it. And her not owning up to the fact that it all came at a surprise. And she was completely defensive and not at all empathetic, sympathetic, any athletic, pathetic. <laughs> like, she was not feeling any type of just emotion. She was very much cold, very much distant, just laughing in his face with Johnny when they had their, you know, when they all came together, it has a full scene. And it, it was just very disheartening. And I felt sorry for Gil. And I, I'm sure Gil, like, I don't know, I'm sure. I, look, I don't know. He is being active about his his healing. And I'm happy to hear that, especially as a man. You don't hear that so easily. And for him to easily and freely say yeah he is going to going to therapy and he's he is doing what needs to be done to move forward and doing so in a way that is productive and healthy but all of it is just really just really just disappointing to say the least I'm really disappointed in how Merla behaved and how she just really didn't give a fuck about him and it just doesn't make any sense to me you remember that scene when she had with Dr. Pepper, Dr. Coke, the fuck? And she's telling her, you know, you know how you pray for things, but you don't realize, you don't really think you'll get it, but this time I got it, and I got it, I got it and more, and in abundance of, and all these things, like, damn, like, and she's naming, like, specific things that Gil does that makes her feel loved, that makes her feel seen, and all these, like, he still made her feel cared for and for her to just just uh just discard him like that like okay bitch okay bitch okay um so it is confirmed that zach and bow are dating and it seems like they're still going quote-unquote strong apparently he responded to or like they respond to each other's instagram uh, post and They'll say cute things to each other in the comments. And uh, he was actually with her at her family's get-together. And he was definitely the only black guy there. You know, that's fine. But he was there with her. And they seemed to be really doing this thing. And, okay. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, if you like it, I love it, right? If that's what it is, and that's what it is. Like, and I'm not saying that because I'm a look, I know I have made it very clear on this podcast that I do not care for niggas with non-white, no, non-black women. Um, that is still true. That still stands. And my my uh theory still every time I see a black man with a non-black woman, my theory is still strong that 
the reason why he's with a non-black woman is because he's not man enough to be with a black woman. And yes, Michaela is crazy as fuck. I get it. I get it. But he still isn't a nigga enough to be with her. He still isn't strong enough to be that man that she could, that she needs, right? And again, they're not the right fit. I think Zach was definitely not innocent in their relationship as well. I feel like it it was easy to put the blame on Michaela. And yes, she definitely deserves to wear the blame hat. But Zach contributed to the fire. He fueled the fire. And, you know, if we're going with Michaela, with some of the things that Michaela says, right? She said that um, he would text her and say, oh, coworker, and kind of play her down, downplay their relationship. He'll deny that he had sex with her, that he kissed her. When it's like, okay, nigga, just eat, eat my pussy right now, though. Like, what are we, what are we doing? And that's really fucked up. And that does something to someone's psyche. Like, you really making it seem like I'm really a secret? Oh, okay, you're about to die. So, look, I, I, I think Zach is corny anyway. But, you know, if he finds happiness in Bao, that's, it confirms my theory. Zach is a corny nigga. Bao is the right one for him. It, that is all. That's all I got for you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Continue to like, share, and subscribe or be subscribed. Tell a friend. Make sure you are subscribed at, on whatever platform. All the platforms. All of them. And I will check in with you guys next time. Peace. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of God Built This Podcast with your host, Maxine. Be sure to leave a review, give me five stars, and of course, subscribe. Also, follow God Built This Podcast on Instagram at God Built This Pod. God bless.